This is Keshla Ninja, episode 239 with Roger Veer. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Laubscher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, I have returning guest Roger Veer on the show with me, and Roger will discuss what is happening in Bitcoin and why Bitcoin Cash will surpass Bitcoin Core in 2018. Roger Veer is one of the most well-known Bitcoin angel investors and evangelists. Learning about Bitcoin in 2011, he started investing in it at a price of about $1. Roger has made seed investments in many early Bitcoin startups, such as blockchain.info and bitpay.com, which are now some of the most successful companies in their respective niches. Roger Veer is also famous for constantly working to promote Bitcoin and educate people about it. He frequently speaks at different conferences and meetups dedicated to Bitcoin and crypto. Cryptocurrencies. In August of 2017, the Bitcoin community split through a fork, which resulted in Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash. Roger shares the reasons why there was a fork initiated and the challenges that Bitcoin faced before the fork, and then also shares the solutions to the challenges that Bitcoin Cash addressed through the software upgrade. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MCLobsher or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja to 44222. To ensure you never miss one of our episodes, you can download our free interactive smartphone apps on the Apple and Google Play app stores. I've also created a Cashflow Ninja investment group where I share opportunities that I'm investing in with my fellow investors. If you're interested in joining this group, please email me at info at cashflowninja.com and we will continue the conversation to see if you're a good fit for our group. I've always thought that if there are only a handful of people that have built indestructible wealth in any economy and market, why are we following the advice and doing what the majority of people are doing that are struggling financially? My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy, but you need to pick one. At the Real Asset Invest, Dave and his company create value for investors looking for high yield returns from real estate ventures domestically and internationally. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the real asset investor offers, such as the syndication opportunity at the Mahogany Bay Village in Belize, investment opportunities in the multifamily space in the United States, and ATM syndication opportunities, visit cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Are you interested in real estate investing but don't know where to start? Join Ops Properties is the premier provider of turnkey lease option investment properties. With their proven system, you can have cash flow within 30 days. To get cash flow within 30 days, go to joinopsproperties.com. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. Roger, welcome back to the show. 
Glad to be back. Thank you for having me. A lot of exciting things happening in the Bitcoin and the crypto space since we've had our previous conversation. Uh, for my new listeners out there that's not familiar with Roger Veer, can you just give a little bit of an, a background of who you are and uh, what you do? Sure. So uh, I was born and raised in Silicon Valley, been around computers my whole life. Uh, my other interest was studying economics. So if you think about it, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are a convergence of those two things. And Thankfully, uh, because of that background, I became the first person in the entire world to start investing in Bitcoin startups uh, back in 2011 when Bitcoin was uh, less than a dollar each. And uh, today I'm the CEO of Bitcoin.com. Can you give a brief explanation, just a quick uh, overview of exactly what Bitcoin is for some of the new listeners? Obviously, it's getting a lot of, lot of traction in the media. But for those that are still unfamiliar of exactly what it is, can you just explain a little bit? Without going too deep into the Bitcoin politics, there's a, there's two versions of Bitcoin at the moment. There's Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Cash. The, what, the, the version of Bitcoin that I've been describing since 2011 and been so excited about, uh, you know, since then has been the version that most accurately describes Bitcoin Cash. And that version is basically that thanks to the invention of Bitcoin, now anyone anywhere on the planet can send and receive any amount of money with anyone else anywhere in the world without having to have permission from a bank or government or corporation or anyone at all. And they can do that basically for free and uh, instantly. And before the invention of Bitcoin, that wasn't possible. So that's a real fundamental change in the way our world is, it works and the way everybody you know gets to interact with everybody else. Uh, before the invention of Bitcoin, all of these things would have been impossible. So here we are and uh, the entire world's really starting to take notice and starting to, to make use of it. So it's a really exciting time to be uh, alive and be involved with such an exciting project. Now, for some of my listeners that have followed Bitcoin and have uh, listened to our previous conversation and are a little bit more up to speed of what has been going on, there uh, was, of course, a big fork this year, as you mentioned, uh, that resulted in Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core. What was essentially some of the big reasons and kind of the debate within the community and why uh, there was a split kind of in Bitcoin? So the the main reasons is that uh, I guess one group of people, my, myself included, we want to see Bitcoin used as a peer-to-peer cash for everybody in the entire world to be able to use for whatever it is they want to buy, whether it's a coffee, a cup of coffee or a house. Uh, we want them to be able to use Bitcoin. Another group of people who came to Bitcoin much later don't want Bitcoin to be able to be used as a peer-to-peer cash. They want it to be a settlement layer and build all sorts of things on top of that. And Bitcoin itself will just be used as some sort of a store of value. And maybe that can work, but I'm very skeptical that that will work. And we already know for sure that Bitcoin worked incredibly well as peer-to-peer cash with low fees and fast transactions. And it grew Bitcoin from nothing into the worldwide phenomenon that it is today. So the people that still have the original vision for Bitcoin split off into Bitcoin cash. uh, And it's all the people that were involved from the earliest days, for the most part, are supporters of Bitcoin cash. So you have myself, you have people like Gavin and Dreesen who's the person that Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of Bitcoin, turned over the project to uh, before he left. Uh, John Matonis is another you know, early, early Bitcoin adopter who's fully on board with Bitcoin Cash. It's, it's pretty much all the people that read the white paper and got excited about it in the early days are still on board with Bitcoin Cash. Whereas Bitcoin Core, as I mentioned, they just want to make it into a settlement layer. And they openly advocate that they want Bitcoin Core to have high fees. They want it to have full blocks. And... Uh, Full blocks causes high, even higher fees and causes unreliable transaction uh, confirmation time. So if you want a version of Bitcoin that's fast, cheap, and reliable, that's Bitcoin Cash. If you want a version of Bitcoin that's super expensive to use, slow, and unreliable, 
that's Bitcoin core. And I don't think that it's a tough decision for any, any businessman or anybody for that matter to decide which version of Bitcoin is more useful for them in their lives. And that's why you've seen Bitcoin Cash consistently outperforming Bitcoin core over the last several months in terms of, uh, of market uh, cap appreciation. Just a rapid, uh, rapid growth and usage growth. And you guys are sticking to, as you mentioned, the core vision of what Bitcoin was in the beginning. And it, that's a currency. It's a peer to peer, uh, cash transactions and so forth and bringing in some of the value that Bitcoin provides. I mean, the scarcity, obviously there's only a limited amount, uh, the 21 million that that's out there. And if you look at the amount of, uh, millionaires that are around the world, there's not enough Bitcoins for all of them to grab some, even, even if they wanted to. So, it has a scarcity. Um, it's very extremely hard to counterfeit. Uh, there's a utility value, which is the rapid transfer of funds. And I guess this was the big uh, sticking point that you guys had because, you, as you mentioned, the fees were high, it was slower, and there was a challenge to be solved. And as an entrepreneur, that's something that you guys came up with, uh, and that's kind of why it's split apart. My next question, Roger, is the outlook. So you had spoken about the rapid growth that Bitcoin Cash has had, uh, the adoption rate as, as a lot of people are uh, using it and, and starting to use it more. Uh, what's your outlook for Bitcoin Cash within the next six months to the next year? Um, and will we will be we see Bitcoin Cash utilize the big exchanges and actually a lot of uh, different places start to accept payments in Bitcoin Cash, like for instance Overstock and, and so forth. Yeah, so Overstock already accepts Bitcoin Cash. We're seeing more and more businesses, including Bitcoin.com, switching all of their infrastructure over to Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin Cash, and that's not. Just because they're doing it because it's more useful. And, uh, the currency in order for it to be used as a store value has to have some utility. And I'm, it, you know, brings a tear to my eye, but the utility of Bitcoin Core has been intentionally damaged, uh, by these people that want to just see it used as a settlement layer. So, uh, if a currency doesn't have the utility, it can't be used as a store value. And people are talking about cryptocurrency this and cryptocurrency that. Well, if you stop and think for a minute, Bitcoin Core is really losing its ability to be used as a currency due to the high fees and slow confirmation time. So if Bitcoin Core isn't even used, usable as a currency, then it's no longer even a cryptocurrency. It's just, just something else at that point. Yeah, because the big attraction to it was that anyone anywhere in the world can basically send money to anyone else by pressing a button without banks and <laughs> the swift banking system and charges by the bank and the receiver's bank charging him and all these layers that you have to go through. So it definitely seems that uh, you guys are looked at this huge challenge that, that exists and started to exist in Bitcoin and came up with a viable solution. Yeah, and uh, time is going to tell, but uh, it seems pretty clear. Uh, although the real winner in this whole Bitcoin scaling debate has been altcoins in general. So nobody paid any attention to any altcoins at all until the Bitcoin blocks became full, which degraded the user experience of Bitcoin. And that's when we saw an explosion of all sorts of altcoins like Ethereum and Dash and Monero and, and take your pick. There's a thousand of them that didn't have any traction at all until these Bitcoin core supporters succeeded in in undermining the utility of Bitcoin itself. And that's why people are switching to like Bitcoin Cash, but all, a bunch of other altcoins as well. So the real winner in general has been uh, altcoins. So looking at how this potentially could play out for Bitcoin as, as Bitcoin Cash starts to grow and grow, it, does this eventually just overtake Bitcoin and becomes the Bitcoin as known in the marketplace? Yeah, I'd be very surprised if that doesn't uh, happen. So it's not guaranteed that Bitcoin Cash will be the winner in the end, 
But uh, with the high fees and unreliable transactions on Bitcoin Core, it's guaranteed that Bitcoin Core will not be the winner in the end. So it's going to wind up being Bitcoin Cash or Ethereum or, or, or Dash or you know, take your pick out there. There's, there's a bunch of them that are all competing for that space. But when you have two versions of a cryptocurrency, one that's fast, cheap and, uh, and reliable and another one that's slow, expensive and unreliable, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a core developer to figure out uh, which one of those two people are going to be, be using in, in their lives. What do you see as some of the challenges for Bitcoin Cash? Uh, obviously, it's pr- providing a solution to the marketplace. But what are some of the challenges that it faces to overtake Bitcoin at core in the end? I think it's just the same challenges that Bitcoin uh, faced originally is we just have to get the word out and show people the differences. Uh, and one point that I've been harping on a lot because I do think it's so important is that you know Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general are supposed to be censorship resistant money that anybody can use without permission. But the people that are supporting the Bitcoin core vision and roadmap, uh, not all of them, but a, a large chunk of them uh, have actively been engaging in a giant censorship campaign uh, against anybody that supports any sort of roadmap that's different from their vision. So they either are actively supporting it or tacitly condoning it by not speaking out against it, uh, which to me, that's just shocking. Why on earth would we trust anybody that's either condoning or supporting censorship to maintain Bitcoin as a censorship of resistant form of money. So uh, the answer is, of course, we shouldn't. So I, I don't trust any of these people that are engaging in censorship to maintain Bitcoin or, or any cryptocurrency as censorship resistant money. Uh, I, I support and trust people that support free speech. The people in the Bitcoin core camp do not have a commitment to free speech in the same way that they, the supporters of the Bitcoin cash camp do. With the growth and an explosion in, in, in the crypto space, governments are shaking in their boots. <laughs> Banks are, and we've seen a lot of people speak out out against, you know, Bitcoin and the the space in general because there's no government control in it. We've kind of tried to see these guys look at get their tentacles around this. Uh, the latest developments around Coinbase and the IRS kind of targeting uh, that right now. What do you see uh, happening there? Uh, we're going to see ongoing efforts of governments to, to shut this down. Uh, and this, as you said, the, the, this money that's democratized, and that's actually the people's money and the market's money. So uh, my goal from, from day one when I got involved in Bitcoin was to get as many people using it around the world as fast as we possibly could. So that if everybody's using Bitcoin, uh, to buy their coffees and their 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 diapers and their pay their cable TV subscriptions and everything else, then it's it's too late for governments to stop it. Uh, they can't demonize it. They can't say it's only bad people using it for bad things. If everybody's using it for everything, everywhere all, everywhere already, and that's one of the aspects that's been so frustrating about the scaling debate is we've lost a couple of years worth of adoption. We would probably already have major banks using Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We'd already have major companies even more than we do already using these sort of things. But instead, uh, there's been, you know, a several year long civil war and, and uh, the, the, the adoption rate has been, you know, significantly slowed down because of that. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that's still the right strategy. We need to get as many people using cryptocurrencies as fast as we possibly can. And it'll be too late for governments to ban it or demonize it or, or try to control it. Because for me, the end goal is to bring an end to government's monopoly on money. Uh, everybody knows that monopolies are bad. Well, why should governments have a monopoly on the production of money? And the answer is that they shouldn't. The, the free market should compete uh, in the forms of money that we're able to use, just like they compete in the, the forms of, you know, soda pop that we can buy that leads to a better quality product at a lower price for everybody in the form of uh, competition of the free market and money. It's going to lead to a, a more useful form of money that's available to more people around the world. And that's what we see happening here with, uh, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. So, But we need to move quickly because 
the people in power don't like people having control of their own lives and their own finances. So, but if uh, luckily governments move slowly, so if we can move faster than the governments, it'll be too late for them to put a stop to this wonderful technology. There's rapid developments and it just keeps <laughs> changing and, and, and speeding up. So a lot of exciting stuff happening. Uh, what's your outlook for 20, uh, 2018 uh, in the Bitcoin space and for Bitcoin Cash? So uh, my outlook, actually, interestingly enough, has been the same every single year for quite a while now. And the outlook is that uh, the next year will be the best year yet for cryptocurrencies, with even more stuff and more adoption and more things happening. And uh, I've been right about that pretty much every single year since I got involved. You're listening to Roger Veer on the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja Podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Valhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. You're listening to Roger Veer on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. And now back to our interview. Now, you have spoken about being a student of economics, and I know that uh, the Foundation for Economic Education is one of the organizations that you learned a lot from and supported, and uh, Leonard Reed, actually, uh, that started that, has been a mentor to um, Dr. Ron Paul, which I've had on the show, and also Mr. Nelson Nash. Uh, can you speak to the role that it played in your development and your growth, just of understanding of economics and, and how the world really works? Yeah, I was so fortunate that uh, this is, you know, the days before the Internet. Somehow I, I came across the Foundation for Economic Education's uh, newsletter uh, called The Freeman. And I started reading essays in there. And then from there, I heard about laissez-faire books and received the you know physical laissez-faire books catalog. Because, again, this was before, you know, I don't think they even had a web page yet. This was probably 1994-ish. Um and so I started ordering all these books from laissez-faire books as well. And the more I read about economics, the more I realized that this is what this is. You can understand the way the entire world works based on studying economics. And you can understand how what raw resources are allocated to produce what consumer goods and how the prices transmit the information to determine what what resources should be used for what things. And it just gave me a better understanding of, of the entire world and a book that the I really liked also, which was more of a philosophy book, but by, by Leonard Reed as well, the founder of Foundation for Economic Education, was a book called Anything That's Peaceful. And in this book, basically, he points out that the entire world would be a much, much better place if anyone was allowed to do anything that's peaceful. And that jived very well with the economics that I had studied as well, because you learn in, in by studying economics that every time somebody trades something with somebody else, it's not one person wins and the other person loses. It's both people are better off. Otherwise, the trade wouldn't have taken place. And so if people are allowed to engage in peaceful interactions with each other, both people are better off and, and the whole world is better off as a result. And uh, the more I read about this, the more I realized that the you know government's violent intervention into the market is retarding the entire world's rate of economic growth and preventing the world from being as as wealthy and prosperous and, and wonderful of a place as it potentially could be. 
And uh, that brought me to Bitcoin because I see it as a tool to liberate the entire world and give everybody more financial freedom, which makes the entire world and each individual within that world uh, better off because of it. So uh, how could I not get involved? So I guess special thanks to Leonard Reed and the Foundation for Economic Education and uh, Henry Hazlitt and Milton Friedman and Ruben von Mises and you know, the list goes on and on. And uh, But wow, you know, start reading these books and you see the world in a whole new light. Absolutely. And you talk about the non-aggression principle quite a bit and private property rights and, and contracts, which is just, <laughs> you know, when you look at this, it's, it's kind of no brainers, correct? And, uh, you are involved in a lot of exciting projects, uh, which basically brings all of this together. And one of your latest projects is actually uh, trying to establish a non-country, which is pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, can you share a little bit more information about that? Yeah, you, you got that exactly right. We're trying to start the world's first non-country. It's not a country, it's a non-country. And we have more than 100 million U.S. dollars of capital already committed. And we're planning to have a, a way for the, the public to be able to participate as well. We plan to have, uh, we'll likely raise well over a billion dollars. And the idea is to, and it's not just an idea at this point. We've already taken action and already have some talks uh, in in ongoing. But we're talking with different governments around the world to try and just buy a chunk of land from them, but not just by the land, but by the sovereignty with that land. And then that will be the world's first non-governmentally controlled country. We'll set up the initial constitution and then auction off the land. And then anybody will be allowed to do anything that's peaceful uh, on that land. And so we've seen, we've had kind of a glimpse of, of things like that with, with Hong Kong and Singapore and places that have, you know, more economic freedom. And we've seen just how quickly they become prosperous. But uh, I think this can be a beacon for the entire world to show just how prosperous and wonderful things can be when people are simply allowed to do anything that's peaceful. I mean, we don't have a monopoly on, on the use of force bossing everybody around and controlling them and telling them what, what to do. Uh, and I think this can set a roadmap for the entire world to see, wow, if this one place that doesn't have a gov- uh, you know, a monopoly on, on governmental services or a monopoly on, on force is doing so incredibly well, maybe we should have more parts around the world that are doing the same thing. So it, I'm hoping that it can be a domino uh, that you know starts tipping all the other dominoes around the world in favor of this direction of letting people do anything that's peaceful and not having one small group of people bossing everybody else around with uh, threats of violence, which is, you know, at its essence, that's what government is. It's a bunch of strangers you've never met telling you what you can and can't do. And if you disobey them, they'll hurt you. And for any adult, you realize that that's not the, the appropriate way to deal with other adults. You should deal with them on a voluntary and consensual basis, not the, uh, not with threats or uh, violence, which is what we have today. Everything would be completely determined by the marketplace. The first thought that entered my mind is the currency, right? And that would be whichever that what they want, right? Whether it's Bitcoin Cash or Monero or Dash or any of the other uh, altcoins. Right. Or, or if people wanted to, for some strange reason, use existing government currencies from other countries, they would be free to do that as well. Um, I suspect people will be using cryptocurrencies, but we won't know until we actually get to find out. And uh, hopefully by this time next year, we'll, we'll be able to start to start to find out. I think we'll have the, the place and everything will be announced by this time next year. Uh, for people that uh, just listen to this uh, and uh, still have that uh, <laughs> that almost uh, that programming pulling them back saying, but who will build the roads? What would you say to them? We don't know who will build the roads, but we do know <laughs> that it, the roads won't be built by a small group of people extracting money from everybody else, threatening to send them to jail if they don't pay, 
and then, uh, you know, building roads at places that maybe people don't want roads to begin with, or, or maybe the roads are too narrow or too wide, or, or we don't know. The, you know, peaceful people coming together with, uh, with voluntary solutions, we'll figure out how, how to build them. And, uh, you know, maybe we won't even need roads. Maybe we'll have all flying cars by, by that point. So uh, we're going to find <laughs> out. But uh, the short answer is the roads will be built without violence. And, and today, in most countries, the roads are built with uh, violence or at least threats of violence. Well, I think one of the best ways that you, I've seen you explain it too, is by just looking at an iPhone. I think you were you know, given an example and basically saying, you know, the, this was uh, created and built and programmed with a bunch of people, voluntary, uh, interacting and transacting with each other and exchanging value, whether you're a programmer or a designer or a contractor or a part manufacturer. And, uh, that's how it all came together. You didn't have someone. Uh, with weapons basically pointing at folks uh, to basically have this iPhone created. It's worth pointing out that an iPhone is a heck of a lot more complicated to build than a flat spot uh, on the ground for cars to drive on. And uh, I'd like to give full credit where credit is due for that example. Uh, I actually heard it first from, from Larkin Rose. And Larkin Rose has a number of just amazing videos on YouTube that really help point out the, the violence that's inherent in government. And it's hidden, so you don't necessarily see it until you stop to think about it a bit more. But I really would implore anybody to go onto YouTube and just Google Larkin Rose and watch some of his videos, and you'll start to see the world in a whole new light. Absolutely. I've uh, looked at a lot of his videos, and uh, I would highly recommend them as well. Roger, very, very exciting stuff with, with Bitcoin ahead. Uh, I'm originally from South Africa, so I was, uh, you know, I had this big epiphany when I was uh, the last time I visited South Africa, just of uh, the amazing thing that uh, cryptocurrencies will do on that continent. And uh, there's already some sort of border and different outside of the system because, of course, you have a lot of very, very corrupt governments there fleecing their citizens and destroying the value of their savings consistently. So something like this is just, uh, I mean, it's uh, its an absolute gateway for them to take control over their own lives, uh, hold on to the savings that they have and preserve their purchasing power. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully on board. And it's not just, you know, Governments in Africa, if you look at it, it's all over the world. That's what governments do is they, uh, they issue their own money and then they inflate it and inflate it and inflate it some more. And that's a way of stealing money from, from people that are trying to use that same sort of currency. And, uh, one other point that, uh, I guess I'd like to thank Milton Friedman for pointing out to me as, as a kid in his book, uh, Free to Choose is there's another concept called bracket creep. So everybody knows, uh, in the United States, the more money you earn, the higher percentage of your income you pay in income taxes. But what never occurred to me until Milton Friedman pointed this out to me is that uh, by the government inflating the currency year after year, even if it's just a couple percent inflation, in the 80s, you know, earning uh, earning $100,000 was a huge amount of money. Um, whereas today, thanks to inflation now, a lot more people earn $100,000 a year and suddenly they're bumped up into the highest tax bracket, even though earning $100,000 today is probably the equivalent of earning maybe $50,000 in the 80s or something. We'd have to look up the exact numbers. But basically, inflation is a way to slowly bump people into higher and higher tax brackets, even though they aren't actually earning any more money each year uh, in terms of spending power. They're just earning a greater number of dollars that are worth less. But over time, that bumps them into a higher percentage tax bracket. So the government's able to collect a, a larger percentage of their income. And that's one of the other reasons governments love inflation, because it, it's you know the term that Milton Friedman uses was bracket creep. And it just pushes people slowly into ever higher and higher tax brackets because of the graduated income tax rates and the, 
Bitcoin can help do away with that issue as well, which I think is another great benefit of uh, cryptocurrencies in general. Roger, thank you so much for joining us on the show and uh, just sharing your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Where can they uh, reach out to you, follow you, uh, and connect with you online and uh, stay informed of all of the amazing projects that you're involved with? So, uh, of course, Bitcoin.com. We have everything you need to know to get started with cryptocurrencies in general. We have news. We have a forum. We have absolutely everything over there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Roger K. Veer. Uh, or if you want to come meet me in person, I'll be at Anarchapulco in Mexico. I think it's next February. Uh, and that's going to be a fantastic conference of you know supporters of free markets and cryptocurrencies. Uh, and again, that's called Anarchapulco. And it's a wonderful, it's my favorite conference of the year. You will love it if you go there. You, you are guaranteed to have a good time. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again, Roger. Appreciate it. And uh, look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. I look forward to the next time as well. Thank you for joining my guest, Roger Veer, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life. So if there's any way that I can provide more value for you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gosh Good Newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 442. Smart investors know that the banks actually don't own most automatic teller machines. In fact, the opportunity for private investment provides stellar passive returns, figures in the double digits, with an added bonus that most of the income is tax-free. Who wants to walk blindly past an ATM and not cash in on that opportunity? ATM machine ownership brings you a steady stream of hands-off passive income. Dave Zook and the Real Asset Investor team have been providing opportunities for investors in this uptrend activity of ATM use. If you are an accredited investor and would like more information on how you can invest in this exclusive asset class that very few investors will ever have access to, you can sign up for your free webinar on how to create income streams from ATMs at cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to create passive income and become financially free. In just over three years, they've created a lease option empire with over 170 properties. They can show you how to do the same. To get cash flow within 30 days, go to joinupsproperties.com. You can also check them out on YouTube. Just search joinups properties or call Jimmy and Bob at 314-799-2247. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access an educational webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms.
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.